Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to Modernizer Die Podcast, the CFML News Edition. It's May 26. I'm Gavin Pickin, a software consultant for Auto Solutions and the lead architect for Auto Solutions, Mr. Brad Wood. What's up? How's it going? Uh, just uh, correcting a little typo in my blog post that I saw <laughs> from the show notes. I was like, did I spell favorite wrong? Oh, now they know what I spelled wrong. I'll never Oops. live this down. No, I'm doing uh, doing good. Just, you know, Memorial Day weekend, trying to get recovered. I told Gavin that, you know, it's too early to be a, a, a Monday. And he was like, you mean Tuesday? I'm like, that's even worse. <laughs> yep. It's already Tuesday. Yeah, I wonder how many people are going to shop for the podcast today thinking it's probably Monday instead. <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels like it. But um, it's good to be back. Got lots of stuff to do. Yep, busy weeks. Uh, last week was a busy week too. So uh, let's get into it. But first... Let's thank our sponsors, Auto Solutions. So uh, without them, this wouldn't be possible. Um, we released cfcast.com last week, which is uh, Auto's brand new platform. Uh, and the first product on there is our Into the Box 2020 conference. So if you were attending Into the Box, you can access them. You should have got an email to be able to sign up uh, for CFCast, and then you should have access to all the all that content uh, right away. So there's about 28 sessions, I think, in all. Uh, a lot of great content from Into the Box that we did just a few weeks back. And if you did not attend, we will be adding the option to purchase um, purchase that package very soon, but you can watch the keynotes, which are included there as, uh, as free items inside that package. So go check it out, cfcast.com. We're going to try and get a lot of good content from Audis over there, including Brad's screencast on Commandbox 5, which you know he just finished releasing YouTube. So we're going to try and put mm -hmm. them all in one place. You can see them all there. But um, So in the past, it's taken like, weeks to get all the videos and stuff edited and processed but what was our turnaround time getting this out i know we were i say we i'd actually had nothing to do with the cfk stuff that was all eric uh yeah. and Luis, and i think gavin but i, I mean we just basically finished. about a week um roughly and to be honest it was mainly because we were trying to get the new cfcast out the door with all the email sign up process and the coupons so the attendees would get the free access and everything so it's definitely a, a very beta release. Uh, it's it's pretty slick though. I'm, I'm excited about what that's going to be. It works. And the site's fast too. Um, yep. He's yeah. using VJS, uh, CB Inertia. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we wrote it in Node. <laughs> Just kidding. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, Brad wouldn't. <laughs> Brad wouldn't let us. <laughs> so. How dare you? Yep. So, um, yeah, so that's one of the, the new ways you can support auto solutions is, uh, you got to purchase a subscription, which will be providing free and paid content on that service. Uh, and that'll be coming soon too. But if you're mm -hmm. an attendee, go so check out those videos. And if you're not, uh, watch out, we'll be offering that package available for purchase soon as well. Perfect. Hello world. And Edgardo. Yep. And we also want to thank He's our patron supporters. Uh, we actually had um, a, one of our supporters decide to up his support. So Gary Knight, <laughs> who was previously a Patreon supporter, just bumped up his uh, Patreon support level. I think it was uh, 
basically five times what he was previously doing. So it's a pretty nice. big. Is that like in an anime when the character like powers up to max level <laughs> and their hair gets bigger? Is that what Gary Knight did. Um, from what I recall, Gary Knight does not have big hair. <laughs> Maybe he got a little bit of hair then. It's like it's the next level of powering up. It's gonna be crazy, psycho hair. <laughs> I don't know, Gary. You can tell us that, but uh, we we obviously thank him for support, and we're basically forty seven percent fully funded uh, of our podcast from our Patreon site. So patreon.com slash water solutions. We got a lot of great supporters there. Uh, if you're not able to help uh, us, at least thank them for their support, uh, and you can chip in other ways. So, um, but we're really appreciative of all of your support. It does go a long way to making this possible. Um, so we thank you guys. <laughs> Okay, time for some news. So, uh, fresh off the press this week, um, Autis webinar. So, we've got another Autis webinar. Uh, we've been so busy into the box and everything. I don't even know if we announced this before, but uh, we're having the CB Security webinar this Friday. So, uh, Friday 29th. Who's doing it? Luis Mahano. So, CB Security version 2.0 is a, is a big update. Uh, a lot of great things have been added into it. It's definitely a full security suite now. Uh, so it's a little different from CB Security 1 if you're using it. So I highly recommend that you check out this, this process. Wilder Bruins has been doing a, a lot of blog posts on the whole process of converting over from CB Security 1 to 2, which are great resources too. But uh, definitely check out this webinar. It's free online, and it's going to be on the 29th from at 11 a.m. Central, so 9 a.m. Pacific. And so do you know if this people if this webinar is targeted at people who were on CB Security One and wanted to upgrade, or just anybody who wants to learn about CB Security? I, I think it's for anybody because uh, you know a lot of people are looking at REST and JWT, and that's one of the big things in CB Security that we've added all the JWT pieces. So it's going to be more the JOT. Yep, the JOT. As some people call it. I don't like that name, but that's okay. It has a nice uh, ring to it, though. It seems like it's be more like a Jude, Jude. If you're really <laughs> going to just pronounce it phonetically, you know. Yeah. All right, so, here we go. I found the description. An hour-long webinar. Um, Luis will give you a complete overview of the CB security module for Coldbox applications. You will also be creating an API and securing it with JWT all in one hour. Custom authentications, purpose webinars, introduce capabilities, and give a hands-on approach to securing your API. Well, there you go. Yep. There's the description of it. Jam-packed. Yeah, I've been so busy with Into the Box. Like, Into the Box gets done, and you're like, where do I go with my life? <laughs> everything in my life was preparing me for into the box and now it's over so yeah i had, I had lost track of, a, of an upcoming webinar so i'm glad that pauline is around to keep these things rolling yep and the, another good thing about this too is that uh, it leads into the hero to superhero <clears throat> workshop that Luis will be doing in june uh, you use cb security in there and as you build a rest api so this is a, a good sort of intro get a taste test of it see if you like it and then go from there so taste testing yeah like a wine tasting exactly so that's free go register online and brad's already sharing the link right mm -hmm. nope. yep links in there Perfect. link is so like 30 seconds ago dude okay well the next one i'll let you talk about <laughs> command box 5.1 was released <clears throat> you said it wrong command box 5.1 released 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 um yeah so uh this is well i was gonna say it's a long time coming it seems like every command box release takes forever but then again it seems like every command box release is like waiting on a version of loose to come out <laughs> it's a reoccurring theme um you'll notice the the command box 5.1 release came immediately on the heels of lucy 5.3.6 which is not a coincidence um 
So we'd had a, quite a collection, I think about 37 completed tickets uh, since the initial 5.0 release. Um, and as usual, it's about an even number of, of bug fixes and new enhancements. Um, a lot of pull requests came in from the community. Um, big things are Java 14 support. Java 14 came out like a week after Command Box 5.1. And I just uh, tweaked the homebrew requirement to say any version of OpenJDK is good. Um, and then, boom, <laughs> Java 14 comes out. They removed Pack 200. <laughs> doesn't work in Command Box. I'm like, curse you, Perry the Platypus. So um, I removed the Pack 200 stuff. So you'll notice if you download Command Box 5.1, the box.exe or the box binary is a little bit bigger. It's about 80 megs now. Um, that's just because it's not as compressed. So the good news is it actually starts up faster the first time because it doesn't have to go and uncompress everything. The bad news is just the download is a little bit bigger. Um, most people tend to prefer, um, with internet speeds these days, most people say, man, the download size isn't that big. Um, yeah, the big Phineas and Ferb fan, Dan. Uh, so anyway, so Java 14, we you know we're no longer doing Pack 100. We added the ability, and this is Luis was hollering at me. You can start a, just a pure HTML server now. Um, Luis is doing a lot of work and he wanted to start up servers on a port just to serve static files, no cold fusion. And Luis had to use node for it because node lets you do that. And Luis is like, oh, it feels dirty. Why do I have to use <laughs> node just to start up a server? He's like, command box do that? And I'm like, yeah, it'd probably be pretty easy. So <clears throat> you can do server start CF engine equals none because um, by default, we assume you want cold fusion. But if you do that, you'll get a server. All the server.json stuff applies, all the ports, all the heap settings. But you can run this on like, I think I tested it on as low as like 25 megs of heat. Um, it did not stay up for long, but it will actually start on 25. But you can be pretty safely with like 64, 100 meg. Just a very small server. Disturbs static files. Great for local testing and stuff. Um, we really can also add hot reloading in there later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just missing. Yeah, well, uh, somebody somebody was uh, on Twitter saying we should add in browser sync. And actually, uh, John Wilson, I think, has a browser sync module he's been playing with. Um so and I'm excited to see what people will do with it. We also added in the command box light and command box thin binaries, which we talked about in our keynote into the box. Command box lights built on Lucy light. So it's, it's like a smaller version of command box, does all the same stuff. It just doesn't have all the extensions in it. Um, and then the command box thin binary is some stuff we use with our Docker images to really just scale down the size of the image to be as small as possible. Um, couple other enhancements like you know you can start the working directory out at a certain folder in your hard drive which is you know gavin's been playing with a lot of integrations directly in like vs code or file system you want to be able to right click and say open command box here so it's important some of that stuff and then kind of the big feature that we've had kind of documented for a long time and uh big thanks to miguel our uh our kind of runwire expert now on the java end is we got the ability to add custom uh, options into your server tray menu. So you can, you know, the little icon you get in the system tray when you start a server, you can add your own menu items in there. And you could do that before, but the only thing they could do is like open a URL or open a file system location, um, which is a little boring. Now you can create a custom menu item with a custom icon that does anything you want. You just give it a command you want it to run and you can open uh, VS code, you can open Windows calculator, you can run an NPM install, you could, you know, any any command you can run at the command line, you can tie that to a menu item. So this gives you the ability to add a, you know, local functionality to your servers that's thoroughly customized to your application. You can put it in your server.json, your config defaults. Um, I'm super, I'm super excited about that, and that's all part of 5.1. So um, it's already out there on the download page. It's already added to Homebrew. All the 
upload locations are, are updated and the docs as well. The command box docs are updated for 5.1. The, the biggest change in the docs was just uh, all the documentation on custom menu items, which is, is pretty exciting. We spent a lot of time working on that, but that's out there. And of course it's using Lucy 5.3.6. I skipped Lucy 5.3.5 due to bugs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lucy 5.3.6 appears to be a very stable Lucy release, which, thank you. Um, we were looking forward to that. There's a lot of class loading issues um, and even Java 11 compatibility issues in 5.3.4 or 5.3.5. So Lucy 5.3.6 seems to be pretty darn stable. And so I was kind of waiting for that to drop and updated a command box to that. So yeah, that's it. Give us some testing. Let us know if you find anything. Uh, Matthew Clemente actually already found a little bug that affects um, affects Mac users when you start a Lucy server. So there may be a command box 5.1.1 patch release that sneaks out this week to address that. But uh, I'm kind of waiting to see just how many people it affects to see how big of an emergency it is, you know? Yeah, Mac uses. Go figure. <laughs> it just yeah. works except when it doesn't I, I, yeah yeah i i throw the elbow at mac users but it's actually just a, a bug that we screwed up in our code so it's not really the mac user's fault but yeah. I like just i'm always things. happy to blame mac users if i can yeah well, they're always poking things that windows uses so sometimes you gotta poke back <laughs> we both deserve it yep exactly cool okay well we also got a blog post out about into the box uh, announcement so it was really hard to keep track of all the stuff that was flying out during the keynote so pauline is um writing this little uh, write-up for us so uh, it basically runs through a little bit about the conference itself but also a lot of the you know one they basically highlight all the coming soons and what we've been working on recently so uh this this blog post is for all of that you everybody that went to the conference or maybe who missed out. Um, but it's a really nice little blog post that sort of breaks down the different things like cold box six, forge box, business, test box, relax, swagger. So sort of all the different big pieces. So we had so many things we announced. We kind of thought we sort of need to like put them all together to remember everything that we've put out there. So, yeah, I mean, everybody saves it up for into the box. So we got lots of good things to tell you and that's what makes it so exciting. But, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, so that little, uh, blog post is, pretty good there if you want to read through it i know a lot of people say what what about this and what about that and yeah remember the keynotes are free so you can go watch them uh, on cfcast anytime and get a recap of those or read that blog post boom cool so and just in case you missed it yes the end of the box videos are on cfcast if you were an attendee you should have the email there's a little coupon code in the email that you can use to sign up uh, we also have a new uh, Twitter account for CFCasts, so CFCasts plural. Uh, so CFCASTS is a new Twitter account, and we're going to be trying to be trying to basically let you guys know when new content is dropping and when new things are coming out. So yeah. uh, another Twitter account for you to follow. So if you were an attendee to End of the Box, you purchased a ticket, um, and you you haven't gotten your videos on CFCast, the email. Um, the subject says CFCast access to end of the box 2020 gifts. So you can search through your spam folder um, and you should have that in whatever email address you had registered under the conference for. And there's a link in there that says to redeem this gift, click on the following link. You click on that, create your account and it associates all the, the content for you. Yep. And then uh, just a reminder, Coldbox 6 release candidate has been released and we need some feedback. So 
I know our team has been going through, we're working really hard on the documentation to make sure <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, that everything is up to date in the, the migration guide, but it is a major release. And with major releases, some things that were deprecated are now removed, things Broken. break, and we don't want it to be <laughs> as painful as it might be for some people upgrading because we got people still using Coldbox 4 and, you know, it's we try and make those guides good. So the more feedback you guys give us, the better docs we can make and hopefully the smoother process. I know Luis has been going through updating a lot of modules that need updating and updating projects. And, you know, and basically less than an hour, he updated several of our bigger projects. So, I mean, it's a little bit of work, but with the right information, it can be pretty smooth. So please test it. Let us know what you find. Uh, and then we'll, we get those documentations update and even fix any bugs if you find some. So please let us know. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of the things that are breaking changes, and there are a number of breaking changes, um, are just, you know, we've renamed functions to make a bit more sense. We've moved some files around, you know, inside of the Coldbox framework, like the bug report has a slightly different, you know, path. Um, you know, it can seem overwhelming, but a lot of that, as long as you, you know, make sure you read through the compatibility guide and the upgrade guide. Luis always types up one of those, and if we're missing anything, holler at us so we can get it added in. You know, if you go through, a lot of these things can be kind of find and replace fixes. You know, mm-hmm. find everywhere where you use this function, and we've changed it now to be called this. Um, you know, it's not too bad. You just have to, you know, dedicate a couple hours to sit down with your coworkers, split up the work, go through, find everything that's not going to be compatible. Um, you know, the, the core the core functionality of Coldbox really is, is very much the same. It's just a lot of kind of smaller things that we, you know, tweak and massage over time. Um, you know, stuff that gets on our nerves, like how the get instance method worked. And we always wished we had done the arguments a little bit differently. Well, you know, Coldbox 6, that's our time to fix it. And so just check all your uses, make sure you update them, you know, you'll be good to go. Yep, for sure. So that, that's definitely important. The blog posts on our website, uh, talking about the release candidate. And obviously you guys know how to get a hold of us on Twitter and Slack, etc. Okay, and then um, John said he actually knows some people that are still using Coldbox 3, and I believe it. Say it isn't so! Uh, also, he says, plus the templates for creating apps from command box, uh, see the documentation. And so, yeah, I know that Luis has been working on upgrading a lot of those, too. So he's been working through the templates, but yeah, definitely uh, definitely good to, to get through that. Um, and there are a lot of, you know, big decisions we have to make and we don't make them lightly, right? We don't, we don't break stuff on purpose unless it's a good, a good reason. I mean, we've been arguing about that get instance for what, two years. <laughs> we finally, finally did it. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of the ongoing problem is, as a, of a framework or as a library author is, no, you, once you put something out there, it's in, and it's in use, and then you wish, you know what? I wish I'd done a little bit differently. It's always, ah, oh, but if I change it now, I'll break all the code of people using it. And so you kind of have to collect up all these things you wish you'd done a little bit different and wait for a major release. Or if you're like Eric and Quick, you just change it right then and just do a major bump and you're yep. done. <laughs> yeah. Which sometimes that actually sounds a little better. <laughs> yep, sometimes. But yeah, then you have people like 18 versions behind. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, each individual version is also a lot easier to upgrade. Sometimes I wonder, you know, if you save up all your breaking changes and do them at once, if it's actually worse, because then you have like a big hurdle as opposed to like a bunch of little hurdles, you know, for each thing. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter, but sometimes I think Eric's onto something. <laughs> yep. He's a pretty smart guy sometimes. Don't tell sometimes. him. Sometimes. <laughs> wow. That sometimes is, is cold. Yep. 
He's not here. He can't argue. <laughs> hey, you know, this is this hit this was his week to be on, but he was busy, so I guess we get to, you know, trash talk him a little bit. Yeah. In, in case anyone isn't aware of what we're giving Eric a hard time about, um, which we're not really, we're just being fun. Uh with, with Eric's modules, he always uh instead of you know waiting to make breaking changes, a lot of our libraries, you know, we're like, oh, we can't have a major release until you know, like we move heaven and earth and come up with something. Um, you know, Eric's just like, oh, if you'd make a breaking change. Bump the major version. We had a major release last week. So, you know, so that's why, you know, quick is in version like 17 or something, because, you know, it's just whatever <laughs> breaking changes you make, just bump the minor major patch as, you know, semantic versioning requires. Um, and so it does a really simple way of doing releases. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. We, we, we have fun debating about it internally. You know, do, do you wait and only have a major release like once every year or two, or do you just bump the major version whenever you break something and not worry about it? Yeah. yeah I mean and obviously we ways with, to do it. With modules, like smaller modules, it's not so bad to, to bump all the time. But the frameworks, you know, that it's a different beast, I think. And that's the main difference between them. Beastie. Yeah. Yeah, it's there's a lot of interesting fun things trying to maintain <laughs> libraries out there. But anyway, versioning is is certainly one of them. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, we have a quick reminder about the state of the CF Union survey. We would like mm -hmm. you to to definitely go vote on that. And uh, the posture results are out there. And I'm, I'm wondering when they're going to close that. It's got to be coming up pretty soon here. I don't know. It's a good question. Because um, when they do, I want to see about trying to get the data to pull some of those uh, trends that we talked about from previous years. Yeah, for sure. So um, terrorcheck.com has the state of the union survey and has some of the posture results as well. So definitely go check that out and i will post what's, the... what's fun in, in the partial result yeah in the partial results um any of the questions in the state of the cf union that has like a write-in box like an other um it always includes the the text that anybody typed in um and a lot of people don't type a lot of information but like at the bottom where it just has some like generic comments it's always kind of fun just to go through and see what people typed of course it's completely anonymous unless they mention who they are in the comment um but i like going through and just seeing the, the kind of notes that people write um, as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let's move on to conferences. And last week we had a couple. <laughs> so last week we had the Adobe Cold Fusion Developer Week. So they had 10 sessions spread out over five days, morning and afternoon sessions. And uh, they did have a little technical difficulties to start the week, but I think they got most of them ironed out. And uh, there was a lot of great sessions. So I know a lot of people were on Twitter talking about uh, Brian Class's. Uh, Amazon talks. He's, he's great. Obviously we had him talk about S3 into the box. Um, and they also can't go too far about, um, someone getting scared by Pete Freitag in a security <laughs> session. <laughs> a lot of I think Pete should just show too. up with like a mask on and just, you know, he turns around like, -be 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 -be. It'd, it'd be the same essential result as what he does. Anyway, he, he does it with code and scares the poop out of us. Yeah, but see, if someone just gives you a mask, it may scare you for a little while, but that code will keep you up at night for years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Every, every time Pete does a talk, I think Luis is, is out there going through the source code. Oh, no, I'm sure we've done one of these problems somewhere. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, uh, yeah, Luis was actually speaking there last week, too. So he did a, a revised version of my uh, my Fluent API talk that I did it into the box. So he mm -hmm. updated it for Coldbox 6. Uh, he added some some extra goodness into that, uh, and goodness. so that, that was actually available on our live YouTube uh, channel as well. But um, I believe if you register, even though it's past the event, you can still register for the CF um, 
the ColdFusion Developer Week. And if you've uh, registered, you have access to get the recordings from that. So they're not available on the website uh, that I can see, but I know that they usually have it. If you register, you get all the emails of all the links and you can watch those sessions as well. But so out, Charlie, of, out of curiosity, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to say, yeah, I heard that Charlie Earhart session is really good. Dave Ferguson had a good session. And the Rex Chief was giving out lots of uh, 2020 um, secrets. So talking about mm. um, stuff like some REST, some REST function metadata as well and stuff like that. So all sorts of interesting things. So a lot of good sessions, definitely recommend checking them out. Um, and then obviously there's more sessions that I mentioned as well. So you don't want to miss so, out on that. Right. So I was going to ask, did they release like an attendee count at all? I, mean, I know the first couple sessions almost just like crashed Adobe Connect, I assume because there's so many people, but I don't know if it actually showed how many people did we get a number on that at all uh, i know pete said that he had several hundred in his session um i know that they had almost two and a half thousand people register through the online registrations so um obviously not everybody was at every session but when i was in the sessions i couldn't see ever like in the chat there was no list of people um a lot of times you had a question answer thing but so I couldn't tell. So I'm not sure if they released numbers, but like I said, I know there was several hundred showing up um, to, to most of the sessions. And oh, you said there were 2,500 people that uh... they said between 2,500 and almost 3,000 people had registered for the event, and so they actually had to do some <clears throat> upgrades to you know make sure it could handle it. Well, yeah. Um, but they they also said that they run um, connect with you know almost a thousand people regularly with no issue. So well, I know that I know that Adobe has different tiers of connect because I used to work at a big seminar company and they used Adobe connect to do big online webinars. And I know they paid a lot of money to have like a top bandwidth, you know, like installation of Adobe connect server they were using. So, I mean, <clears throat> also what's interesting is I found working at that same online company, when you have a free webinar, usually you'll get about 40% of people that sign up that'll actually show up, which seems low, but we've seen the same percentages in our previous developer weeks. So even with 2,500 people, that's a 40% of that's about a thousand people. So, I mean, that's a lot of people all logging on at once. Now, usually what we've also seen with our developer week is like your first session will have like a ton of people and it'll kind of, you know, trickle off throughout the day. But I bet those keynotes had over a thousand people connecting, which is not a, a small amount of bandwidth. And I, I also recommend uh, people think about how many kids were online last week, rushing all their homework before the end of school. Cause <laughs> I know that was a, a mad rush in, in our cities. Everybody was finishing up trying to get the grades and everything. And no joke. I mean, my internet all last that day was kind of sketchy for everything. So I don't know. I think that the internet, I mean, we had Google classroom crash on us a couple of weeks back. My wife was trying to enter some grades and stuff, but Google classroom was down because that many people were trying to do it Friday night, get all their grades. in. so you never know. So, yeah, but yeah, but it was a, a good turnout, uh, a good event. Like I said technical difficulties aside, uh, still a lot of great content from a lot of great speakers. So definitely check it out. And yeah, if you wanted to get in on the 2020 action, they had uh, some sneak peeks. Even Brian Class has mentioned some of the cloud functions in 2020 as well. So very cool. And then last week we also had Microsoft Build. Did you get to see any of those sessions, Brad? No, I didn't, but I saw a lot of talk about it on Twitter and even some people in Slack. Um, apparently, Microsoft even finally, I don't know, I, I don't know if it was in conjunction with the conference, but I assumed it was, 
I saw that the Windows 10 um, terminal also finally came out of preview into a final release. Um, yeah, the the WSL2 or well, well, not that, just the actual terminal app. Oh, um, okay. Also, was released. Again, uh, Carlo was uh, was talking to me about that. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of cool stuff, and you know, obviously, I don't do very much uh, of the Microsoft, um, I guess, stuff. Except for I, when I think about, it, I'm like, well, I use the terminal, I use Windows, I use VS Code. Uh, you know, so when I think about, it, there is quite a lot of stuff in there that I do use. So there was quite a lot of sessions that I was interested in, and I checked out quite a few of them. And if you go to mybuild.microsoft.com, they actually have a lot of the sessions that are um, you know, recorded for viewing it later, so you can watch most of those. And it was kind of cool, like their keynote, because they're all doing uh, you know remote. They're using their Teams product, which is like Slack, to do video calls, and they're chatting with different people, and they're all like showing their their animals, and they're walking outside, and they jump from one device to another all seamlessly. And oh, it was, that's clever. It's pretty pretty cool. It was just like a little chit chat, um, you know, sort of thing. But it was pretty neat, and I liked it. How uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was planned or not, but Scott Hanselman was doing you know talking during the keynote, and one of his kids snuck in the back. <laughs> <laughs> grabbed something <laughs> snuck out and he kind of rolled his eyes a little bit and then continued <laughs> but that was pretty funny some people made animated gifs out of it put it on twitter and stuff oh but my gosh that's hilarious kids in his pjs you know sneaking into his office my kids always sneaking here to grab gum or whatever so <laughs> at least this kid was wearing clothes it could have yeah. been worse i guess <laughs> yeah so i'm not sure if that was staged or not i didn't see a response to that but uh a lot of good content um they had like the creators of vs code talk about how it went from nothing to you know blowing up overnight and you know they talked about some cool things and one of them we'll talk about as a vs code hint tip and trick of the week so i'll save some of the limelight for that but pretty cool stuff um so definitely recommend go check that out too so um i said almost all of those sessions are there it's free so go to mybuild.microsoft.com and <clears throat> check it out a couple people mentioned in the wsl2 um in the chat in case you're curious um, I've had some people playing with it. I still use Windows 7 on my main PC because my motherboard's too old and I can't upgrade. I need to buy a new PC. Uh, so the whole WSL stuff, I'm like, I can't, I can't really use it regularly. Um, but uh, again, Carlo was doing a bunch of testing with Command Box on WSL2. So in case you're curious, it works from what he's saying pretty well. The only uh, trick is if you want to be able to um, access the site, you have to bind it to like 0.0.0.0. .0 so it binds on all IPs. That's the change in the WSL2, where if you bind only the local host, I guess you can't access from access it from outside or something. Anyway, oh, um, yeah. but it's good to know people have already been testing Command Box on it. It seems to work pretty well. So I I know that John Fryer is always asking about Command Box on WSL. I'm sure he's been using it as well. Yep. I was hoping you would do the blog on Command Box or WSL2, John. You yeah. write you write it. We'll we'll put it out. Like I said, I don't I don't use uh, WSL on my Windows Seven machine that I'm currently stuck on. <laughs> my yeah. gosh, I'm like that Coldbox Three guy. I gotta I gotta fork out the money and just get a new computer so I can get a modern version of Windows. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty good, and a lot of people are you know talking about how they can't use Windows, and I'm like it's I switched back from Mac not too long ago. And it's surprisingly not as painful as I thought. And I mean, even now, like one of the big things I didn't like is I had to use PuTTY for SSH, but you can SSH mm -hmm. from Command and Power, Power, uh, PowerShell and everything else now. And I'm sure from the WSL too. So like just the built-in yeah. support with SSH keys and everything like that Microsoft's was gone. Microsoft really closed but, the gap a little bit. Um, 
I don't know. My theory is that like some Microsoft guy went to a developer conference, looked around the room and thought, crap, everybody's using the Mac here. Why is nobody developing Windows? Or I don't know. Maybe that's just like a hypothetical situation, I imagine. And then they realized like, oh, that's right. We've made Windows so dumb. It's like sucks as a developer machine. Um, so, I mean, I got to say there's a lot of things that I like and what I've seen. Now, there's a lot of annoying things about Windows 10, like the out-of-the-box behavior. You're like, oh, you can't create sim links. You can't edit your host file. And I'm like, come on. These are like bread and butter of developers. But, you know, they have like a developer mode you can activate that lets you do those things. So I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. I don't mind a switch that turns it from like, I'm a stupid grandma sending emails to, <laughs> no, really just let me use my PC. You know, it doesn't bother me as much. So it's nice to see Windows closing the gap. Yeah, I mean, they're shipping a, a, a kernel for the WSL2. Like, <coughs> it's shipping inside of Windows. That's how much they like Linux now. So, And you that, do a lot of Linux stuff there, on Azure as well. There's just a lot of irony when when one operating system starts shipping the kernel to a competing operating system. <laughs> it's, it's like if Ford cars started using Chevy and engines because they were like, dang, they're just better than ours. <laughs> You're like, hmm, what does that tell you about your, your engine? Anyway, yeah, apparently John Frosted, you just insulted every grandma listening. That's okay. <laughs> they, they don't watch podcasts. And then, Charlie, uh, watch a podcast. And Charlie said he think that an old <laughs> box would work well with Windows 10. I know that you I tried to upgrade, what, four times and it just crashed every time, right? I uh, no, Charlie, I actually researched it. My motherboard it was made in 2012 and it's actually incompatible with Windows 10. Uh, it took me forever to figure it out because the upgrades would just fail and wouldn't say why. But I finally figured out, because um, I tried to do the Windows upgrade back when it was free and it wouldn't work. Um, and I finally traced it down and my motherboard is actually incompatible. My motherboard is the grandmother. Yes, it's the grandmother board, as Scott Steinbeck said. <laughs> so I literally cannot install Windows 10 on this physical hardware, which sucks. I mean, it's, it was a good machine when I bought it, but it's just old enough it won't work. I mean, yeah. heck, it's eight years ago. Jeez. I got this machine when I started working from home, Gavin. Working that's, from home for eight years that's now. That's pretty crazy. I'll have to send you a link. Yeah. I got an Amazon... Um... A, a Dell box and for like really, really affordable price. And it's way better than most Macs out there still. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, I mean, this is, I have like a power stack, power spec, you know, uh, just desktop PC I got from Micro Center. But my wife just started using a laptop because I have a couple ASUS laptops that I really like. They're gaming laptops. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can get for about a thousand bucks. They have really good specs. It's really tempting to just like switch my main machine over just to be my laptop with all my external monitors. Um, it's not hard. I mean, I ran five off mine, no problem. So. Yeah, I mean, it's really tempting because then, I mean, because Luis has done it for years. When I go to a conference, I just take my machine with me. I don't have to have a separate machine. I don't know. Anyway, this is all completely irrelevant to the yeah. <laughs> to the podcast. But uh, Microsoft stuff, pretty cool. Yeah, lots of options. Windows ME. You know, Dan, Windows ME booted up faster than any version of Windows. It just crashed twice as often. <laughs> <laughs> that was the trade-off. Yeah, they just never <laughs> shut it down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Scott says Windows hates him. Yeah. Well, it's mutual. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, we still have a couple, one more conference at least in May. So um, on uh, Thursday this week, May 28th, we have DockerCon, which is mm. going to be live online. Never think I love free. to hate Docker. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I have a love-hate relationship with Docker. <laughs> I love yeah. it. And sometimes I hate it. Depends yeah. on if it's working at the moment. Yeah. And I was doing a lot with it lately and everything. It's, I mean, I definitely like it. There are some weird stuff every once in a while that just makes you want to uh, remember that you're a coder. 
Well, um, I mean, the thing is that when I hate Docker, it's usually because I don't know what I'm doing. Just when I get off into a corner, I really like haven't learned about. That's really why I hate it. It's not that Docker does anything wrong. It's that I don't know what I'm doing. So to be fair, yeah, I usually yeah. hate that I don't know what I'm doing at that moment in Docker, and then I have to figure it out. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But yeah, it's a few weird. Docker cons in like two days, right? Yep, exactly. Uh, Thursday, I'm gonna have to cancel some meetings so I can <laughs> make that. Definitely uh, want to check that out. They got three sessions streaming simultaneously, and then they got to have a, a few live streams from some of the Docker captains that'll be doing interviews and everything too. So there should be a lot of great content around that. Um, but yeah, it's all free and available at docker.com slash dockercon. So I'll post yeah. that for the chatters and live chat here. Yeah. Sweet. Do you think somebody would pay us just to attend all the conferences and then tell them what they missed? Like, could that be like a, a job? We just get a Patreon page. We're like, we'll go to all the conferences for you. We'll tell you what you need to know. I'm just saying that could be a viable business plan. Oh, some people do that. And then they do interviews with people as well. And then, then sell the videos to other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their sponsors pay for them to do the videos. A plan emerges. Yep. <laughs> uh, except for right now, it's kind of tough. <laughs> And in the world of conferences, our Into the Box a conference we had a couple weeks back did not have workshops, but we have workshops coming to you in June. So we've um, basically delayed them so we could have more time to organize them and get other people organized as well. So we have two w- virtual live training workshops in June. We were we announced last week that we have three, but we had to postpone the quick workshop, unfortunately. So we will be bringing that back very soon. Um, but um, basically the two we have, I will be leading the cold box zero to hero on June 4th and 5th. And Luis Mahano will be leading the cold box hero to superhero API edition, June 18th and 19th. So basically it's over two days. We have uh, two, six hour days um, broken up by, you know, lunch and some breaks. Um, but it's going to be nine to 12 central and then one to four central. So hopefully it meets uh, everybody's time zone requirements. And then um, we have the information available on autosolutions.com slash events. So a veritable 12 hours of training. Yep. And so the price is up there. Uh, I believe the price is $8.99 for the the conference. Uh, sorry, for the workshop. But I believe our podcast 10 will still get you 10% off because you listen Ooh. to the podcast. So you guys can save 10% and uh, register for that. And as I mentioned, uh, we will be doing the quick one later, and then we'll be working on REST, uh, sorry, not REST, um, test box, containerization, and uh, Charlie Earhart was meant to be doing um, a workshop as well. And so we're going to be talking to him about getting some dates scheduled for him as well. So basically, you're not going to miss out. We're just going to be spreading them out over the next couple of months. and if these are popular and people like doing them, we, we might try and do these more regularly in general because we're always being asked when are you going to do your next training. And um, obviously dates right now for the other ones are a little bit up in the air. We were planning on doing a training in Singapore, uh, one at CF Camp and also in Vegas at CF Summit. But we're still waiting on those dates to be confirmed. So, um, And there's a good chance those may turn into online trainings. Um, what I said, uh, sorry, John asked, did you say conference attendees get a 10% discount off? Is there a coupon? I said, no, the podcast listeners, if you use podcast 10, you will get a 10% discount. Um, 
I know that they emailed out about the trainings, I believe, to all the attendees. I'm not sure if they had a, a discount uh, code in there or not. Uh, I will double check and see if the attendees get a better discount code than the podcast 10 one. But that podcast 10 is basically good for anything on Eventbrite. So podcast 10 <coughs> will get you 10% off pretty much all of our stuff. So we want to say thank you for, for listening and watching. So uh, as we mentioned, June 4th and 5th, next week, that'll be me taking that training. Uh, hopefully you guys will see you there. It was only a three-person minimum, so as long as we get three people, we'll be doing it. You're uh, taking the training? I hope you learned something. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I'll be <laughs> leading that training. Okay, so if you uh, have any questions about that, let us know. Um, but the information is available at autosolutions.com slash events. Uh, also, we mentioned CF Summit. Right now, the tentative dates are October 28th and 29th. Uh, Charlie's in the chat. Did Charlie, did they mention anything about um, CF, oh, sorry, not CF Camp, CF Summit West uh, during I, last week's things? I did not see I've heard some official. rumors that it's likely not going to happen and we're just waiting for the internal gears to turn in Adobe to finalize it. Um, yeah. I noticed just now the sign-up button on their site has appears to have been deactivated. It doesn't do anything when you click on it. Okay. Um, well, so, yeah, I just wasn't sure if maybe I missed an announcement last week at the ColdFusion Developer Week. So. Yeah, I don't think anything's been announced officially. I was chatting with a couple of people on the inside the other day, and they seemed inclined to be under the impression that it wasn't going to happen, but just hadn't been finalized. But, I mean, that's obviously not any kind of official response, but... Yeah, um, Charlie confirmed nothing to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll hopefully we can go forward. Things are opening <clears> up all over the place, and it's not the end of the world yet, so who knows? We will yeah, the see. The problem is, I mean, things things are opening up, but, you know, like for the small places, so, I mean, this still falls in the category of, you know, 500 people in one room at a time, so I don't know, you know, where we'll be at by, uh, you know, October, unfortunately. Yeah unfortunately so we'll let you know as soon as we hear something official uh charlie did confirm nothing was mentioned at the developer week last week week yep. so that he heard okay and then see if camp we're still in the same boat too so but hopefully we'll uh get some virtual conferences or or do something at least uh I know everyone's just dying for more content so we can get that out there so well we've been out cf man Yep, exactly. Got to get our fix. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into some blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. So here we have a, a blog post from uh, Steve Nealon. Um, so mm. he's been back in the cold fusion world for a little bit now. He, he was uh, working on other stuff for a while. But uh, this blog post is talking about how you don't need to make everything an object. That's heresy for a Java developer. Everything <laughs> has to be an object, even objects. Yeah, so in this one here, basically he was talking about this process um, that he was working on, and basically this report was timing out. And so he even bumped the request time out from 10 to 20 to 30 minutes, and instead of actually timing out, it just started failing with Java heap errors. So he got a clue. So basically what he was doing, he was querying the database, converting the query object into an array of structures, and then converting that into an object populating the object from the structure, appending the object onto an array of objects, looping over the array and looking for a description and IDs, basically. And so what he did, just take out the 
the object steps. Basically kept it as an array of structures and looked through it looking for items because the object didn't do anything special to what he was doing. And basically, instead of taking 30 minutes and being a Java heap error, he got <laughs> it down to, uh, you know, like two minutes, basically. So, um, you know, we talked about best case only thinking and blindly following patterns. And so yeah, he made some good points here. So, you know, definitely think it's a, a good little read. So check yeah, it out. Yeah, and I, I think this is a really good post. I hadn't even seen it yet, but I, I like it. I mean, <clears throat> Confusion developers, I think, have sort of swung like a, pen, a pendulum, um, you know, a bit. You know, Confusion started out like super quick and dirty, you know, and that was kind of, that was kind of a, you know, it's 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 features. You had these super easy structs and arrays, and you could get this, you know, super useful data back from queries, and you just do it. And then the early 2000s, we were like, we need to be a real programming language. We need to do everything Java does. Everything's going to be objects in Java and object-oriented programming. Um, but then we kind of, you know, swung to an overcomplicated style. I say we, I mean, there were elements of people that would that try to overcomplicate things. At least, you know, Confusion makes something so easy, but we like, we have to wrap it in abstraction to feel like we're doing something. Um, you know, but the performance from the that abstraction layer of Confusion doesn't always allow that to, to work well. So, I mean, I, I kind of like posts like this that are saying, hey, there's nothing wrong sometimes to just doing a good old fashioned query object, you know, and just using some of the built-in stuff and not adding the layers over it. Um, yeah, so, like, uh, when I work with JSON APIs and I get like an array of structs from the, the database and I make objects and then turn it back into an array of structs, I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think again, sometimes, sometimes I think too much encapsulation can almost lead to those sort of things. You know, you write these like uber black box things and you're like, you don't have to worry about what the code is. But then when you actually get a holistic look of what a page request does, you realize you transform your data like 17 times. You know, and you're like, well, do I really need to do that? Um, you know, sometimes maybe it doesn't matter. It's negligible over times. Like, you know, like Steve Nealon's post pointed out, you realize it's just an incredible amount of overhead for something simple. Yeah, I mean, we were doing some work with Quick for a client, and we had one of those cases where they needed, uh, they wanted a front-end element that had basically every employee of this, you know, or every contractor. <laughs> and so, you know, we looked at the comparisons and everything looked good but when you say okay i want every record and you're passing back fifty thousand records you know that extra you know 10 50 100 milliseconds per record adds up very quickly you know and overall like the small numbers of records it was negligible you know like really wasn't a big deal but mm -hmm. when you start processing huge numbers it, it does add up you know even if you're using quick or um, quick as in the land it, i mean yeah there was a very small difference but it just added up so, so which underscores the value of a tool like the profiler in fusion reactor mm -hmm. because when you get that request you're like man this request seems like it used to be faster but it takes 25 seconds now what's it doing inside of itself fusion reactor profiler oh look at that i'm creating objects for 20 seconds solid or whatever you're doing yeah. anyway it's my daily plug for Fusion Reactor. Yeah, when you go into the <laughs> database, it's like, it's only taking like one second for the query. Why is it taking 45 seconds to return? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's <laughs> super common. You look and your queries are super fast and that's all the cold fusion debugging shows you. And the question is, where's my time going? And you have to be able to pinpoint all the other stuff you're doing with the data that actually, you know, adds up. For sure. Anyway. Yep. Moving okay. on. Yep. Next, we have a tweet from Zach Spitzer about a, a Lucy. So support for same site cookies just landed in Lucy 
So I, I sent a tweet to James Moberg, who's been asking for this for three years now, <laughs> and uh, Adobe's just added it, and now Lucy has too. So he says PHP did it in 2018, so we're only a little bit slow. Wah, wah. Yeah, I made some crack about cold glacier similar speeds. <laughs> 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 At least it's there. So yeah, so uh, it points out the, the ticket and the GitHub repo, and uh, yeah, a little link there so you can find out more about it. That's good. Okay, we also um, have... Oops. By the way, you mentioned Lucy 537. Just on a side note, I said how Lucy 536 just came out. Um, from some chatter I heard uh, internally from Lucy just over the weekend, I believe 537, which has been in the snapshot phase for a while now, um, they're planning on releasing the release candidate of 537 fairly soon. Um, so in the next week or two, I would expect to see 537 come out in RC, of course, and I think 536 was an RC for about one month. If I if I timed it, I had gone back and looked at the, the release date. So just so if you have an idea in your head when this will come out, 537 looks like it'll go into release candidate in the next week or so. And then typically about a month after that, it should go final if everything goes you know as planned. Hmm. But cool. Very good. Okay. We also have a, a blog post from Matthew Clemente. So he was working with uh, Command Box 5 and ran into some CFHTTP SSL errors. Um, and so um, basically he walks it through. I like how he Yeah, no, I was issue. helping him. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I was going to say I was helping him figure this out. And I think this may explain some random HTTPS errors I've seen people on Slack had that we've never been able to figure out. Um, unfortunately, I... I can't always go back and find those Slack conversations to try to follow up with these people. Um, but yeah. he, uh, he'd noticed that he had problems connecting to some HTTPS URLs using like a CFHTP tag uh, from within a server that was Adobe, but he could make the same connection um, on a Lucy server using the same version of Java. And um, what's interesting is I remember there's a little, uh, a little kind of fix that we do in Runwar um, back in the Adobe Cold Fusion 11 days, um, we had problems where SSL wouldn't always work correctly unless we set this ECC disable flag, which is just kind of a, um, uh, it's a built-in Java flag that disables a certain, um, uh, I don't even know what ECC stands for, it's elliptical curve or some nonsensical SSL things. Anyway, um, when we added this, this you know, system property in, to command box servers that would allow SSL to work correctly on, on Adobe Cold Fusion back in version 11. Um, and that's the only thing that I knew of that Runwar does differently between Adobe and, and Lucy servers, at least in regards to anything related to SSL. So I suggested that that Matthew tried, you know, turning off that setting to allow it to run as normal and it actually fixed it, which is really interesting. Oh, there we go, Charlie to put in there, elliptic curve cryptography, which is about as cryptic of a name as it comes. Um, <laughs> But uh, so I, I told Matthew, I was like, well, that's, I mean, this, this sucks because, you know, without the special JVM arg, certain versions of Adobe wouldn't work in the past. And now it turns out that with it, certain versions of Adobe aren't working or maybe it's Java combinations. We weren't sure. So I didn't want to just take it out for fear of breaking the opposite scenarios. Um, so uh, Matthew fired up a little Travis build, which was actually really clever. Um, and he created this little matrix that basically started up like 20, 25 servers here. And he tested um, several versions of Adobe and Lucy 
on um, multiple versions of Java with multiple versions of that flag being enabled or disabled to kind of get like a, a table of, you know, what combinations work and what combinations don't work, which is really nice um, and also really frustrating because if you look, the wow. <laughs> results are all over the board. Yeah. Um, some combinations work, some combinations don't work. Um, and I don't even know if it's related to the actual Java version or related to the Java libraries that, you know, Adobe is using. I mean, I don't even know what that silly elliptic curve cryptography thing does. All I know is at the time when we Googled, there were, you know, this is why I love Stack Overflow answers that say, ah, just use this JVM arg and everything will be fine. You know, no explanation of why, just, yeah, slap it in and you're good to go. Well, it turns out you're apparently only good to go in some cases. So yeah, until that- we can f- figure out something that will work for everything, um, at least this chart may help you figure out if you want to disable that setting now based on your random combinations of, of CF Engine and Java. Now, I also thought it was weird, too, that TriCF failed sometimes and Google succeeded, but then the opposite for the Adobe engines, almost. Like, it's weird. Yeah, without knowing the root cause, that's the problem, because there could be factors at play that we don't understand yet, especially since we don't even know what the heck the setting really does. As Charlie said, that's the problem with copying something off Stack Overflow that doesn't really tell you what the root cause is because you don't really know what factors play into it. So, you know, there's no telling TriCF. It could be related to the operating system it's on. It could be related to, you know, environment variables and that specific environment that Java is picking up. Um, it's, it's tricky to, to debug these things. But kudos to Matthew for at least coming up with a huge list of what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I mean, he just did this this last week. So maybe we can find some patterns in here and figure out just why exactly it works sometimes and it doesn't other times. Because it's frustrating when, you know, parts of your CF engine just randomly, I say randomly, it's not random, but it feels random, you know, don't work in some scenarios and you can't figure out why. Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean... Anyway, this yeah. this is definitely an ongoing uh, Well, it, It's funny because it looks like... in. In Java 11, the Google one is the one that fails, but in Java 8, it's the TriCF one that fails on Adobe. Yeah. It's interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. I haven't figured out the pattern yet, but hopefully we can figure something out so it, you know, quote, just works, end quote, for everybody, but that yeah. can be elusive. I wonder if the other thing is, too, if you're hitting different, uh, like Google servers or the load balances or something. They've got slightly different certificates and that's. Well, yeah, that's what Charlie just said. He mentioned in his final note, it could be down to the certs. Um, That's why there's so many different factors at play. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I understand enough about SSL certs just to be dangerous, but I, sometimes I really feel like I I don't understand half of, of what's really going on with SSL certs sometimes, at least when they, when they quit working and you're like, crap, why aren't they working? You realize there's, there's so much, um, complexity to what's really going on behind the scenes and so much variation in different SSL certs and how they're generated and the keys that they use and the algorithms that they use. Um, that's when it starts to get to a point where I feel like I don't always understand just exactly what's going on. But anyway, um, I'll post at least if nothing else, this is documentation for the time being of our, of our research. Yep. Interesting for sure. Okay, well, up next we have a blog from Ben Adele. Um And in this one here, he's going back to an era where he ran into where he can't cast object type struct to a value of an image, type image. And so this is a weird era, era he got back in January when they were moving from 
5.2.9 to 5.3.3 with Lucy. Um, and basically he said he was, they had no idea why it was happening. He couldn't reproduce it, whatever, but they found some hacky code, he puts it, um, when they switched from uh, ColdFusion 10 to Lucy, where basically they were um, getting a new image and then basically pasting it over to another image and then removing the RGB color code. And this worked previously and stopped working. So, um, you know, he, he sort of walked through this process. If you guys are doing um, image stuff and you ever see this type of weird error, can't cast object type struct through a type of image, um, some of this may give you some hints. But I think basically what was happening was that because they were removing the color code by doing a copy paste, that was just confusing the engine completely. Yeah, I'd like to see a ticket put in for this. Unfortunately, Ben said it's not an error that happens immediately. It's something that happens after the server's been online for a while, which sounds like it's a bit of a, a bit of a trouble to reproduce. Yeah, and that's what he said originally. He couldn't figure it out, and then it certainly seems like it's a bug in Lucy. But yeah, yeah, I did flip through this on my phone. It looks like uh, they also weren't capturing the full stack trace as well. And when you're dealing with these sort of low-level Java errors, um, it's very important to have like the full stack trace that shows all the internal Java lines. Um, and so in Ben's case, he was only capturing the lines of ColdFusion code, the, the tag context, mm. which uh, unfortunately doesn't have as much information as you need to really hone down to the, you know, the Java behind Lucy that's actually uh, having the issue. Yeah. It's an interesting one. I, I love those ones that are hard to reproduce. <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. You try and get a bug out to someone and they always close your ticket, can't reproduce. I'm like, <sighs> even when you do get it to reproduce, it doesn't work on their machine. One of those. So we have another um, blog post by Ben as well. And looks like he's actually been testing on uh, 5.3.6 for Lucy here. I like how he has the version and the title. Very useful. But um, he's also... <laughs> This is going back to something he was doing before about um, canonicalizing URLs. Um, and so before he was talking about how HTML entities will actually um, blow up um, because it, it basically double encodes them because it actually converts them. So we talked about that last week, I think. But so this one here, you write an, um, an option, uh, basically a little function to help you with that. But he does caution you, he's not a security expert. <laughs> he does work with some, but um, yeah, he's not a security expert. But basically, what he, he went is you know talking about how this whole process is a trade off. Um, but um, he tried to walk through it, so it's kind of interesting. You know, no, I saw this blog post on my phone because I was traveling over the weekend. I'll be honest, I didn't quite understand what he was trying to do. It's at first, I assumed the blog post was on just encoding things. But that didn't seem right because there's obviously just functions built into ColdFusion for, you know, encoding something for a URL. Canonicalizing is usually dealing, like you said, with things that are double encoded. But if he has things that are double encoded, that usually points to some sort of upstream issue where you're encoding something twice. You need, you need to stop doing that as opposed to trying to clean it up. So, yeah, I'm kind of I was a little curious as to the actual like use case for this, why he was into a place where he had things that appeared to be double encoded. He was trying to canonicalize. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. I mean, I remember in the old days, we used to use this to try and get a URL that was, you know, basically one URL for your SEO stuff. And you'd take all the inputs and try and figure it out based on that. 
and so it would generate one so it doesn't matter if they reordered the url variables or whatever it would give you one url to use and so that was kind of the key and that's what i think he was doing here he's basically looping through the the pieces of it to split the url up and get all the different um, parts See, I wouldn't have written a function to parse the URL. Um, well, that's why you, ben... he also mentions in the bottom here. Uh, he's probably libraries out there to do that. Uh, if you have any, please uh, do that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did a whole blog post on this once several years ago. The JavaNet URL class has been around the JDK forever, and that does exactly this. You hand it a string, and it parses it You know, following every possible valid URL, which usually custom parsers don't account for everything URL can have. And then you can just call getters on it. You can get the protocol, you can get the host, you can get the hash, you can get the path, you can get the port. Um, the, yeah, the last thing I would write, to be honest, would be a, a custom URL parser, just knowing that Java class is, is super easy to use. Um, I should try to dig out the link to that. I had done a blog years ago on my personal blog about it mm -hmm. um, because I found myself in the need to parse a URL and I realized, oh, look, Java comes with a class that does exactly what I need. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I found it an interesting process. And as he said, it's a good code card, you know, trying to go through that process. But he did ask for any URLs or uh, libraries that do that. So we definitely want to we'll do that for sure. So I'm trying to find my own site via Google, but I don't think Google gives it much page rank. <laughs> Here we go. Fun with javanet.url. I wrote this in 2008. This has probably been in uh in the jdk since the beginning yeah get file get host get path get port get protocol i'm gonna slap this out i'm gonna have to put a comment on ben's thing and be like hey you could replace that all with like one line of code <laughs> yep for but sure i'm still curious why is they need to canonicalize stuff but at least the parsing of the url um could have been a lot simpler i think very cool okay and then uh we have another blog post this one from pete freitag and i really wanted to share this one because as we mentioned his talk last week at cf developer week uh securing cf is a vital one you should definitely check it out it is scary i do warn you but um he's got his slides here for some tactics for securing your cold fusion code he's got a bunch of source code and examples here and then um basically this is his bank of insecurity app that he uses in his full day cold fusion security training class which is a great class by the way uh, if you haven't taken it definitely recommend doing that too so um yeah so this little blog post has a bunch of links and everything and if you look on twitter under the cold fusion hashtag i know charlie was sharing his slides and uh brian class was sharing theirs as well so a lot of great contents there hopefully they'll get a summary blog post out for all the slides and the recordings for the cold fusion developer week um, but pizza is available there if you'd like to check that out. And I highly recommend it. Okay. So next on our list, uh, Brad would talk about command box being there, done that with skip. Okay. Uh, we have another one from Charlie. So Charlie, um, during the, the developer week last week, they were talking about the CF 2020 and the pre-release. And so Charlie blogged about how to actually get in there. Um, and so they've changed it, I guess. So announced by Rex Sheaf at the Div Week presentation that you can just email to CF pre-releases at adobe.com if you'd like to get access to the CF2020 release. Um, and so Charlie basically just made that available, whatnot, um, whatever. Uh, here it says, finally ask for what's in it or when's it coming and more. These things can't be 
publicly discussed. So basically, if you want the inside information on what's happening and when it should be there, go join the release, and then you get access to all that information. Oh, pre-release, sorry. Pre CF pre-release adobe.com. Thanks, Charlie, for that. I guess I added an S. I definitely uh, have problems with letters. Ask my wife. <laughs> well, almost been here 20 years, and I still can't speak American. <laughs> it's American, Gavin. You're saying it wrong. Exactly. I keep adding letters here and there. <laughs> Looks so, like Matthew Clemente had another uh, live coding session, this time on fat arrow functions. Yes. Is it right to fat shame the arrow functions? Just maybe ever <laughs> considered their feelings. No, but uh, as I like Matt's trial, you know, learning by trial and error. I definitely support this method. I do it all the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, an, another good video of his there. Um, and he's pretty pretty regular now. I, I is it he switched to Wednesday eight thirty Eastern, I believe, or is it Thursday? Uh, he's been Wednesday most Wednesday. nights, I believe, from what I see come across Twitter. Yeah, so um, definitely check him out, and uh, it's it's pretty interesting. I say he's be, last week he made a module that uh, messed with the banner and command box. Even though you already have one that does it, he decided to create his own. Well, um, yeah, so I, I was giving him a hard time because he created a, a a banner customizer, and I have a module I'd created that lets you overwrite the little command box ASCII art. But he kind of took it a different direction where you could actually like you know tweak how the version number shows up. You could have a custom quote. Um, so it was, a, it was a cool little experiment. But I like the quotes you have. Take that, fish. <laughs> <laughs> stupid fish. Stupid Take fish. Take that, stupid fish. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a bit of an inside quote. People probably scratch their head when they yeah. when they come across that one. Yeah, that was from a great night eating Greek food at CF Summit. See? Yeah, that came out of one of our conference get-togethers. Yeah. So if you were there, you would have been in on that inside joke. You were one of the eight people. Yeah, we put a dent in the ocean that night. <laughs> Take that stupid fish. <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, memories. But yeah, so um, Matthew Quinte's, um YouTube channel has all those videos, so definitely go check them out. Uh, I know I'm gonna be watching a lot more of them, uh, watching a little more, because I know I'm gonna miss stuff when I, I usually speed through them the first time. So I'm looking forward to seeing some more. So every Absolutely. Wednesday, eight thirty Pacific uh, Eastern, five thirty Pacific. Uh, check them out on YouTube, streaming live. So we got for CFML jobs this week, Gavin. Well, um, the jobs last week only had like twenty five listings, and now we're up to like thirty four ColdFusion positions posted. Twenty nine companies across seventeen locations in five countries. So I guess the jobs are picking back up. We have three new ones listed. Um, one of them in um, Canberra, Australia. So a ColdFusion developer there, and then oh. we're also looking for ColdFusion developers in Bengaluru, Karnataka, and in India. And they're looking for a full-time web developer, Cold Fusion programmer in South Bend as well. So we got one in South three different Bend. countries. Yeah. So a lot of good information uh, out there on the Get CFML Jobs website. And I also linked directly to the, the one for the Canberra one because I saw that on Twitter as well. So um, there's a little more information possibly there. Hey, look at this. This South Bend, Indiana one. Says this code is expected to be complete, including comments, efficient and tested. Woo! They they have high hopes. I I love that. Look at that. Yeah. You go work there, you better comment your code, baby, and you better test it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Laying down the law. 
Exactly. By the way, can you have that done by three o'clock this afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. So now comes the time where we talk about the Forge Box module <laughs> of the week. And this one was actually released uh, a couple weeks back, but I wanted to spotlight it. So this one was uh, Quick Commands by Eric Peterson. So we have quite a lot of code box, uh, sorry, command box commands for scaffolding. And this is a new one out that helps you create quick entities. So you can um, create table names, attributes, and relationships all from a command box command. And that'll scaffold out the entity and generate all the relationships and everything for you from that scaffolding. So um, automation is, is a big deal. And um, Isn't this the one that Eric just created the other week? Yeah, he created it basically right in time for the, the new quick release and into the box. So Yeah. So Ooh. let me pull that up for you. The description on ForgeBox is a little sparse. And by sparse, I mean Not up empty. there. That's yep. fine. He just made it. I'm sure he'll be filling it out sooner. Yep. So if you see over here, he's got the the LP quick. And so LP. They I'm call sure me LP. I'm sure you'll add the, the readme soon. But if you go in here to the create... You can see uh, all the documentation built in, and this command box picks up all of this automatically for you for the help. So he's well documented here. So you can see, you know, you can pass in the name of the entity, the table. You can talk about what the primary key is, pass in a common separate list of attributes to create. Um, you can also do the relationships, choose the directory where you want to put them in. Um, you can name the file, choose to over override it or not. So, um, you know. And if you're looking at commands, uh, Matthew Comente wrote uh, wrote a couple of commands in one of his videos. But this sort of gives you the idea of how to go through scaffolding as well. So uh, it does quite a lot of work in this one. It's a pretty complex one, especially when it comes to creating relationships. You know, because Quick has stuff like has one, has many, belongs to, belongs to many, has many through, etc. So a lot of interesting things in there. But uh, yeah, just a quick command to help making your working with quick a little easier and then obviously if you want to add some functionality there talk to eric or put a pull request in and we can try and make those quick commands even better so next we've got our vs code hint tip and trick of the week looks like code spaces this looks brand new yeah so this is actually something that i found out a lot more from um the ms build so part of the keynote they were talking about it and they actually discussed it so do you know what it is, Brad? Um, this is the builder to have like the mobile editing environment, isn't it? Yeah, so your instant div environment. So this is built into GitHub, and basically you get the full Visual Studio code experience without leaving GitHub. So for our projects, and this is what I'm, I'm excited to do for some of the oldest projects, is, is basically set up the development environment for our Coldbox platform or Testbox or any of our other products that are open source products. We basically set them up inside the, the repo and then someone can just click uh, basically, you know, open code spaces and then it opens up your full environment. So what it does in the background is it spins up a Docker container with all your, uh, mm. basically everything you need. So this isn't just for you, but you can have anybody that comes across GitHub can just click the button and they can get the environment as well. Yeah, that's the idea. Now, I'm this not sure like about pricing. revolutionize sending pull requests. Exactly. So if someone wants to work, don't have to worry about downloading all the dependencies and everything else. I mean, that's the big, the best thing is, is you know, you have everything See, like the terminal built in all in your browser. 
And the coolest See, thing is if yeah. you use Visual Code, uh, Visual Studio Sync, you can actually synchronize your settings. So when you open it up, it automatically pulls in your theme and all that stuff. So you work how you like to work with code, but you don't have to worry about installing anything because all the dependencies are basically built into it. And so, so is there a way to have up. like command box already installed in the Docker container that it spins up? Well, I know that there's certain things for um, terminals and, and stuff like that. You have access to it. I mean, it sets up SSH keys. Now, I don't know about command box because it's a you know an external binary how that would work, but because of the you know you can definitely use a lot of things. I'm not sure where that would go. So that's the only thing I was curious about. Um, I'm yeah. not sure how that ties in. But I mean, you definitely have the option to use, you know, they say you can use dot files, um, basically to uh, that in your code extensions to create, you know, consistent environments. So basically everyone has that. But the cool thing is, yeah, like you said, you can use any device uh, at any time. And so that means you can pull it up in a browser or an iPad or something because it's using the browser. The browser has the VS Code plugin built into it with all the dependencies you could actually work off of some of those things so you can you know get all the power of vs code in your in your browser set up all the dependencies needed you know no matter what you're running yeah so it looks like you have to sign up for early access yeah I'm, I'm i'm clicking sign up now it asks you to check the check boxes of what programming languages you develop in okay. so i checked java and i checked the other and i typed in cfml slash cold fusion so Cool. Um, it looks like they're looking to have some built-in support for several of these languages. Um, we should uh, we should try to reach out to them and ask them uh, what it'll take to get CFML as a supported language. But I have a feeling they would be a lot more inclined to talk to us about that if there were vast numbers of people all signing up saying, hey, I want Cold Fusion and CFML. So yep. maybe so everybody listening should go click that button and type in CFML. Yep, and tell all your friends too. So that's what Charlie said. If you click the link, uh, the only question is what language to develop. And he was like, he said it would be interesting to see if indicating CFML will help or hurt. But I think if there's enough people, it definitely would help. But yeah, definitely click Java as well, and maybe you know something else big there. But I know John, John says he requested access. Yeah, two weeks ago. So I don't know if they limit how many people they let in or what. Yeah, because this was announced at the GitHub conference a couple of weeks ago that. I didn't, I didn't go to, but there's a few, you know, freaking out questions there. Uh, I'll post the link and, oh, we already have it posted there. Thanks, Brad. So everyone can go check it out. But um, it's kind of interesting. So there is some pricing that has not been finalized. So I'm not sure uh, what it'll be, but it says code space is free during the beta. Uh, and, you know, code editing will always be free in, in GitHub, but these code spaces may be additional. So maybe it's something, you know, quick and simple, you can just use the, the normal editing, but you need to go open things up, run all the tests and everything. You can do that from your phone when you're on vacation. <laughs> so there definitely looks cool. And um, yeah, this here sort of talks about the difference of VS Code. So it sets up a cloud hosted and containerized customizable VS Code environment. Now, after you set up that, you can connect to your code space through the browser or through VS Code. So if you want to, you can open up VS Code and basically tunnel into that from there. So that's pretty interesting too. And it It'd be interesting if Ordis did our own version of this where we spin up a Docker container that has all the ColdFusion stuff, you know, based on all your JSON files you have in there, automatically does the box install, automatic, automatically sets up the SSH keys. 
and we charge two dollars less than whatever GitHub charges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that a lot of the pricing we do is we take you know whatever NPM is doing or whatever, and we say, okay, we'll charge ten percent of that, and it's still crazy because it's like oh, ForgeBox Enterprise or whatever. I know the pricing for that. I think we did the math, and it was like, yeah, well, let's charge ten percent. And it was still a number that scared a lot of people off. That's yeah, crazy how much it, those places charge. Pricing is weird. You know, you have a lot of online services that are a few bucks a month. And then all of a sudden you had the enterprise version and it's like $5,000 a month. You know, and you're like, holy cow. It's, it's like a different, you know, universe of pricing as soon as you get into the enterprise level services. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, John Farrell said the project was open source. He got it running locally before VS code in the browser. And they have a name for that, the actual editor itself. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely, definitely some options. I mean, and we could always set up a containerized version, um, for dev environments. I know Amazon does the AWS and dev platforms as whatever too. You can basically just connect your VS code into whatever you're running. Uh, you can run it up there and, and do whatever. So you I know, think that's an option for sure. When I was at DevNexus in February, I saw some really cool, uh, like the like Red Hat and Google Cloud platform. They all had these little like sets of laptops you could sit down and you could experiment with their tools. And they had some really cool things. You could go through a tutorial building like a Java Spring Boot app or whatever. Um, but it was all based in like a Docker container. It would spin up right as you sat down in your chair and you click the start button. And you, I mean, they had like a little web-based editor. It all ran in this old Docker container that had Java and everything automatically installed in it. Um, and when you were done, you know, it just the container would shut down. Um, just interesting because it's almost kind of the same basic idea. They were using it for just demonstrative purposes at the conference, but it sounds a lot like what uh, what this GitHub Spaces, I uh, know Code Spaces is, but just more like a a general purpose thing. I wonder if it'll work with Play with Docker. You get four hours of time for free, hmm. spin it up, run it, connect to it. It's an interesting know. question. Yeah, maybe. Oh, the things we would look into if we had unlimited time, Gavin. Yeah. Speaking of time, we are over time. We are over time for <laughs> sure. Okay. So last but not least, we want to thank all of our Patreon supporters. And again, thank you, Gary Knight, who bumped up his contribution. We really appreciate that. So uh, we should give him a special gold star on our list today. But uh, we have a lot of great Patreon supporters available at patreon.com slash order solutions. You can find all the different packages you can support us with. Uh, and we appreciate everyone who takes that step and financially supports us. So we really do thank you. And without it, this podcast, uh, products like Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, etc., would not be possible. So we thank you. And today I will run through the names. So thank you, Benedow, Brett DeLine, Calvin Stanton, Dali, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Bellinger, Didier Snicky, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight. Super thank you for upping your contributions. Jan Yannick, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamery, Kai Koenig, Laxman Tirahari, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Ryan Hughes, Scott Steinbeck, Sean Oden, Stephen Klotz, Synaptrix, and Yogesh Mithur. So if you want to see that full list, you can go to autosolutions.com slash about-us slash sponsors, and you can find out about some of our heavyweight sponsors there too and other companies that support us and how to support us as well okay any last words brad <laughs> uh uh try the veal it's, it's great <laughs> sounds good well thanks everybody for joining in uh it was a long one but i think it's a good one and don't forget doccom this week have a good one everyone
拜拜。Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io. We can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.